to all Europeans I say it is time to leave Brexit behind. Our future is made in Europe. We will be your friend, your ally, your supporter, and indeed never let it be forgotten, your number one market. We need to finally move on from Brexit once and for all and forge a path towards a shared future between two strong strategic partners. Welcome to the first episode of our brand new podcast, London Calling EU. As the new relationship between the European Union and the UK unfolds, this regular podcast will provide a platform to discuss issues of relevance to people on both sides of the channel. We hope that this podcast will become a regular appointment for those who are interested in making the most of this partnership. The name gives it away. London is calling on the EU to engage with all those who are shaping EU-UK relations. And the European Union delegation in London is embracing that call with open arms. We will welcome voices from all sides of the argument and the podcast will be an arena for constructive discussion and debate and none of what will be said here will represent the delegations nor the EU's point of view nor indeed will it represent my own personal opinion as a journalist. We will look at this new relationship with a new lens without any prejudice but with the optimism which comes from the belief that there is life beyond Brexit. Hopefully we will look at areas where the EU and the UK enjoy long-standing ties and where there is wide scope for cooperation. We'll look at the battle against climate change. We'll talk about security and cross-border policing. We'll look at sport and culture, defence and trade and many other areas. But for our first episode, we'll turn our attention to education. I have just two regrets in terms of our societal cooperation. Firstly, the British government decided not to participate in the Erasmus Exchange Programme. Secondly, the level of ambition in terms of mobility assistance is not in line with our historical ties. But that, again, is a choice of the British government. That was Michel Barnier on Christmas Eve last year as he announced the UK's decision to leave the Erasmus Plus scheme designed to encourage students to study and work in other countries throughout Europe. In its stead, the UK has devised a new study scheme named after the renowned computing and coding genius Alan Turing. I'll be speaking to one of the biggest universities in the UK which used to take the second largest number of Erasmus students, Warwick University. I'll also be joined by the National Union of Students and the European University Association. We'll be explaining how the new Turing scheme works and what it means for European students hoping to study in the UK and vice versa. But first, this is how the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced the Turing scheme, followed by Daniel Ferry from the European Commission. So what we're doing is uh, producing a uh, a UK uh, scheme for students to go around the world and it'll be called the Turing uh, scheme and it will so 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 students will have the opportunity to uh, and then after Alan Turing so the students will have the opportunity not just to go to European uh, universities but to go to uh, the best universities uh, in the world what you yourself said, the UK government decided that it no longer wanted to take part in Erasmus, which is something that um, we regret. Of course, we have seen the the news uh, in, in the press announced by the, by the Irish government. This is something we take note of. Um, it's worth recalling as well that the withdrawal agreement covers students currently on Erasmus and for, for the current, um, for the 2014-2020 MFF. But of course, the, um, the going forward, the UK will no longer be part of this. 
That was Daniel Ferry from the European Commission. And before that, of course, Boris Johnson announcing the Turing scheme, which Britain hopes will replace the EU's Erasmus scheme, which the UK left when it formally left the EU at the end of last year. We had asked someone from the new Turing scheme and the UK government to join us to do an interview or to explain how the new scheme works. But unfortunately, they declined. Let's meet our guests who know a lot about European study exchange programmes and what students need. Professor Sean Hand is Deputy Pro-Vice-Chancellor with one of Britain's largest universities, Warwick in the Midlands, where quite a few European students used to avail of the Erasmus scheme. Hello, Sean. Hello, Joe. It's nice to be here. Thank you. And Thomas ekman Jurgensen is Senior Policy Coordinator at the European University Association, which brings together all universities in Europe from 48 countries, no less, whether they're inside or outside the EU. Hello, Thomas. Hello. Thanks for being oh, here. Hey, do you say hey? Do you say hey, hey? Or how do you say... How, we say how hey, we say good day. Many, Today. many versions. Many versions. Many versions. Okay. Well, we stick to English on this occasion. And finally, Hilary Jebi Ababio. Hilary is the Vice President for Higher Education at the National Union of Students here in the UK. Hello, Hilary. Hello. Lovely to be here. Now, be honest. Are you under a blanket or a towel or something to help with the sound? I actually feel a bit like a lion. I'm actually under a robe, <laughs> but it could be a blanket. Sometimes it doubles up well, but hopefully the sounds all good. It sounds wonderful. And hopefully it won't get too hot there, Hillary. If it is, let us know and we'll kind of DHL some water to you so to cool you down. <laughs> Please Can do. Can I start with you, Hillary, if I may? Uh, and since you have to advise so many British students, how would you describe the Turing scheme and how it differs from the old Erasmus scheme. Yeah, so um, this was an interesting announcement, actually. I, I, I know that alongside students, I spent a lot of time personally campaigning for us to stay in the Erasmus scheme. And so when we heard about the Turin scheme and the unfortunate news of us leaving Erasmus, there was lots to look out for in what the government were announcing. Um, and to be honest, I don't know that we have that much detail around what the Turin scheme looks like. But what we do know is that it offers um, around 100 million um pounds um, that students can use for outward mobility um, and there's a big focus on students from disadvantaged backgrounds being able to utilize that um, but other than that there hasn't been a lot of information and, and some of the things that we've been sort of asking the government to clarify on is what it looks like in terms of tuition fees being covered at um, institutions that will be included under the Turing scheme what does outward as well as inward mobility look like um, given that the Turing scheme is predominantly focused on outward mobility. Um, and finally, we've really been asking the government about what student support to have the, the most full experience of studying abroad would look like, given that Erasmus um, contributed hundreds of millions of euros for students to be able to take advantage of Erasmus um, at its fullest. So um, there, there hasn't been much detail yet, and we're still waiting to see how it goes with its first cohort. But you know, we're, we're sceptical, but but looking to see what it actually looks like in practice. Yeah, the government said that um, 40,000 students are eligible for the scheme, which started last month, September 2021. Uh, and I think the key ingredient in relation to tuition fees, and I'll, and I'll bring in Thomas uh, from the EUA shortly, is that they hope 
that the universities in question, so if Southampton University is partnering with Heidelberg, they hope that both universities will waive the fees, but there is no guarantee that they'll waive the fees. Is that something, have I misread that, Thomas? No, no, that that is correct. The, the fees, the fees are, are of course an issue because that was one thing you did in Erasmus that that you you waived each other's fees. And, and there's of course also the fact that fees in the UK differ quite substantially from fees in in the most of, of European universities. So many European universities would not have an issue with waiving the fees, um, whereas as uh, it's of course a question in Britain where it's such a big part of of the of the income of universities but but uh, i think there's there's goodwill i'm always optimistic on this one i i think there is goodwill on both sides to do things like that if it makes it work now the government says they hope 40,000 will be eligible immediately um you referred to fees thomas and, and I'll, I'll come to sean shortly um for some you know advice from warwick's point of view but if the fees in Britain are almost £10,000, which is whenever almost €12,000 per person per annum, um, it's going to be very tough for them to waive those fees if the fees, in again, using Heidelberg as an example, are you know, a fraction of that. Thomas? That, that is an issue that we've seen also in, in the drops you've seen in applications to the, to the UK uh, for going and studying. That... You can see where you might expect people to have less money, much less students are applying. So, so there, is, there is an indication that the fee is an issue for, for, uh, for students that go to the, to the UK. Um, but then you have economists saying, you know, but it's so much value for money, you pay those 10,000 and, and you'll be okay. So... The, the jury is still very much out on all these issues, what it's going to mean in in the future. Okay, well, well, let's ask Sean Hand to to unmute. I think he's already unmuted. To give your experience so far, it is very early days for the first cohort of the Turing scheme. What have you found, Professor Hand? As you say, Joe, it is very early days. Thomas said the, the jury's out. Um, it was done with... Um, a certain amount of haste, and I think it's fair to say that there's a bit of tweaking still to be done in the system there. Uh, the difference in fees is effectively just one aspect of something like Turing, because it's not just uh, a replacement of Erasmus+, Plus, although it's sometimes touted as that, since it's not just for European students. Um, it's, it's, of course, for the whole of the world, and it's just outgoing students from the UK um, versus a, a reciprocating system. So in the case of Warwick, which was awarded 2.6 million, um, th that actually breaks down into a number of different activities. There are four big kinds of activity, just one of which would be your traditional uh, year-long um, uh, secondment out. Uh, others involve short-term uh, internships, uh, work placements, or uh, a second semester in a companion university, or even in the case of Warwick, uh, work that we do on a thing we call ISP, which we've been running for a time now with Monash University. We have a strategic partnership with them that's over 10 years old already, and, and it's an intensive study program. So there are all kinds of ways in which mobility Digital, virtual, and, and and real actually can play out with Turing, 
it's, it is early days to see how Turing works. The other thing to say about Turing quickly is, of course, that um, the UK is still effectively for now just in Erasmus+, Plus, although that's going to end soon. And I suspect that many UK universities have looked to attach their Turing funds during this round to non-European areas because they can use the money for that right away. Thomas, you wanted to get in there. You, you don't have to keep yourself on mute if you want to kind of bark at somebody. <laughs> um, no, I, I just want to comment on, on, on what Chan said there that was important. I, I think at some point you need to decouple the Turing versus Erasmus point yeah. because they are not the same. I think that's yeah. that's that's a, a very important thing, um, and it goes down to the whole language. So the Erasmus language is one of exchange, common understanding, uh, building things together, and there's a lot of institutional cooperation and staff exchange. There's a lot more than student exchange in in Erasmus. During it's much more specific, snogging international people as uh, as well. We need to we don't need to forget that very important aspect of the Erasmus scheme: meeting and meeting partners. Uh, that was usually a strong argument as well. Um, but apart from that important thing, uh, the, the whole language around Turing is much more, you know, let's give these students, individual students, an, an overseas experience uh, so that they get skills and they get language. And, and it, it's much more in, let's say, the, the, the British language of the student experience so it's it's a different it's a different animal and it does different things. It makes sure that British students go abroad, and that's been an issue for many many years. So in that case, if you if you bracket out Brexit and Erasmus or not Erasmus and say here is a scheme that sends British students abroad, which is highly needed. Well, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, I think that that's a, makes it a much more positive take than we lost Erasmus. Basically, you could do both. In some years, you might say, you know, you want both this and Erasmus because they're different animals. Do you have any stats for um, uh, the, the current intake of, of students and uh, how many people are going to apply for Turing and how many people are currently doing Erasmus or do you have an estimate? Sean Hand, you have some stats for your university, Warwick University, for the EU uptake uh, over the last three years. Yes, um, I know that the number of students from Warwick going out this academic year is about 800, and about 150 of those are just modern language students. So if you look at that number, it's interesting, because you could plot it on a curve with previous years and say that it's, it's still reasonably consistent, and if anything, there's an element of growth there now. Okay, so we have about uh, 536 EU students coming in to Warwick. Uh, that's about 62% uh, of what it was in the previous year. But the previous year might have had a bit of a spike in it. Um, 2021 is, of course, additionally complicated because it's the first year that EU nationals are paying international fees. But a lot of them will have been awarded a settled or pre-settled status, so they'll be paying UK tuition fees. So you might expect a bit of a hike in numbers connected with them. Um, and even taking that into account, it, it looks as though Warwick's pretty well placed to, to exceed uh, its kind of incremental international acceptance um, uh, numbers and the 9% that was reported by UCAS for the sector overall at the end of the cycle.
And what about non-EU students coming into Warwick? I believe there's been a surge in those numbers. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I think there's a number of reasons for this, but it is uh, Warwick is likely to exceed its its international student recruitment targets by maybe 700 students or so. So that'll take it up to an intake of nearer 2,000 students uh, from about 1,200 uh, the previous year. And are they paying full fees, uh, Professor Hand? Are they paying full international fees, uh, non-UK fees? Yes, they are. Of course, it, it, there's a there's a very different situation depending if you're talking about undergrads and postgrads. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're talking about, say, e, if we're talking about EU students coming in now, they will be paying the international fee as opposed to the previous UK home fee. So it would go up from you mentioned a figure earlier. It's about nine two five zero. Would go up to different bands. Uh, a band one for classroom subjects would be about twenty one thousand. A band two for lab based subjects would be nearer twenty seven. Now, mm -hmm. yes, that does sound like quite a hike for EU students coming in. Um, we try to mitigate it in a number of ways, and I'm sure lots of universities are doing this. We have um, an undergraduate global excellence scholarship. Uh, which we've advertised uh, over 1,500 applications. And uh, we gave out 20 full fee uh, grants. That's for the full duration of an undergraduate degree and 230 partial ones uh, to 18 different academic subjects. Of course, we legally had to offer this to all international students, not just to EU ones, but EU students did nonetheless apply for it, and we're going to be offering this again in the future. So there are, there are ways in which we want to continue to ensure that we have you know, the best pipeline of students from wherever they happen to be. Uh, but to come back to non-EU numbers, um, we're actually, as a university, on track, and this doesn't surprise me, for, uh, for maintaining even exceeding the number. The, the key, therefore, for me, Joe, is ultimately not the numbers, because universities can find ways of meeting a bottom line. It is, I think, more seriously, um, the, the, the ethos on the campus, the, the, the cosmopolitanism you'd want in a university. So you, you could have a bigger number, but if it's only coming from, say, two countries and into two or three departments, that's not the kind of mix that, that, that's good for everyone. That's a kind of siloed operation. So it's important for us to keep an eye on how the numbers break down into different economies, different subjects, and, and even the gender balance. Can I ask you how important it is that uh, less well-off students get a special sport, support on the Turing scheme? And I wonder, Hilary, whether Erasmus uh, could learn anything from Turing. Yeah, so I think, first of all, you know, the Turing scheme um, is really important for disadvantaged students, especially because Erasmus was such a big opportunity booster for students from widening participating backgrounds or um, in clear English, disadvantaged um, backgrounds for being able to explore the world, meet people from different countries, experience new cultures and new ways of learning. And so, you know, Turing is going to be really important in ensuring that that is still something that students from those backgrounds um, and much wider are able to access and able to experience. Um, I think there's something really important around um, what we need to do to think about building a scheme that, you know, students will still see value in and actually be able to freely enjoy. Um, and if if I was to say um, anything that Erasmus could learn from Turing, um, I think there's something important about thinking about the global reach of international study in a wider sense. And I think 
that's something important that students are wanting to do more and more. But until we see tiering roll out in more detail, um, I think the jury's out on what Erasmus can learn until we see what tiering does for students and, and how it goes. Brilliant. Thomas, what do you think Erasmus could learn from Turing? I mean, obviously, this is, you know, we're only in the first month, but uh, from what you have read, is there anything Erasmus could pick up? Um, yeah, that's difficult, that's, that's difficult to say, as, as I said before. I, I think they're, they're, two, they're two rather dif different animals. But uh, without having the numbers at hand, it, it's clear that Turing is much cheaper than Erasmus. Also does less things, but is much, much cheaper. So if you can get something that sort of Erasmus quality for that kind of money, I think that the agency here in Brussels should look at it and say that's that that sounds that sounds sufficient. But I mean that is purely purely hypothetical. And as I said, they are so difficult to um to to compare those two programs. There there's yeah. so many things in Erasmus that are not insuring, but are not insuring because it's not what Turing is meant to do. Um if I, if I can mention one thing is uh, now we have Warwick here is one of the, the UK universities that, that is member of, of what is called the European University Initiative Alliances, which is a new flashy thing in, in Europe where you have these very, very deep partnership between uh, European universities and and. Um, I think you and, you and the, the Utopia Alliance, it's, it's called. Um, and, and and that is a thing that's funded through Erasmus and partly also through some research money, but it's it's mainly Erasmus. And that that's a that's Turing is not meant to do that. It's just an example how different but they are. Are British universities as part part of this alliance, Thomas? That not as many as it would have been had there been, I think full certainty about what happens in the next 10 years in, in EU-UK relations. But there are a couple. I don't have them on my fingers. There's, there's, there's Warwick, definitely, is, is a big one. Edinburgh, I think, is one. There's a couple more. Okay, let's go back to Sean. You're nodding uh, ferociously there, Sean. Well, uh, tons of stuff to say. And thank you for the cue there, Thomas. I, I think East Anglia was the other one that... Or Essex. Essex was the other one that was in the first round of those applications. And it would be nice to see more UK universities. Others have joined in since. I think the key thing that Thomas picked up on was its Erasmus Plus funding, which means that in the next iteration, the UK universities, although they would continue to be members of their alliances and, and they're, a, they're a great initiative, would would act as associate partners. They couldn't be in, in direct receipt of funding until that changes uh, uh, beyond the next uh, kind of a set of funding rules. Um, my own alliance, the Utopia one, is, is a great example of, of what we can do because uh, I think everyone is saying that uh, Turing and Erasmus Plus are not the same thing. And great, uh, they should be complementing one another and we should have all of them. So I'm in an alliance now with, with nine European universities. It, it, I think, will grow to 10. And there are a whole range of projects in place there for staff as well as students to engage in multiple forms of mobility. And I think that this is, to throw down the gauntlet, what Erasmus Plus can learn from something like Turing, the way in which mobility is not just thought of as the opportunity to go to France, read Proust and eat cheese for a year, but actually... Does, that does appeal. <laughs> oh, it, it, it worked for me uh, brilliantly. And I'm so old, I'm kind of pre-Erasmus babies. 
But, um, you know, in the 21st century, how do people uh, gain knowledge? Of course, there's an embedded, a real kind of emotional phenomenological process at work. But there's also the short-term abilities, the internships, um, and those people who wouldn't have had that opportunity, who now, we hope, without too much cynicism, be given that opportunity through something like Turing. Uh, the, the ability to go out for four weeks, the ability to have an experience in another environment that you wouldn't otherwise have because you're a carer or you're not able to afford it or whatever. So I think Erasmus should actually learn from what it is that a Turing has put in place and what some of the European alliances want to put in place. And Erasmus, I would hope, could evolve into something which is able to take some of those opportunities on board as well. Um, can I go back to Hillary? I'm not sure whether you can help me on this question, but uh, the Erasmus scheme doesn't, sorry, the Turing scheme does not include Northern Ireland because the Republic of Ireland is going to pay for Northern Irish students to stay in Erasmus. And Wales has its own distinct scheme as well, which it hopes will top up the benefits of Turing to bring it to what it describes as the same level as Erasmus. So it's slightly confusing for, for students throughout the UK. Yes, I, I think it's an interesting um, but welcome development to see Wales and um, Ireland, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland being able to see a boosted version of Turing and, and Erasmus um, continued in many ways because real, like in real life, you know, students wanted Erasmus to stay or something that we campaigned on their behalf for um, at NUS. And so um, I, I think the only confusion comes in where people are unsure what opportunities that they get nation to nation and if there is a place where I think confusion will exist it's going to be more in England in trying to understand why there aren't the same opportunities being given by the Westminster government um, than you know the Welsh and the, the Irish government um, so I think it's going to be really important for us to um, continue to communicate clearly to students what Turing is all about but I think there's a, a real challenge for the Westminster government to sort of show that Turing is, is as good as Erasmus um, and actually worth doing, um, as worth doing as Erasmus even. Thank you. Uh, Thomas, um, the Turing scheme doesn't include academics, doesn't include lecturers or teachers. I is that a missed opportunity? Is that something that uh, academics will, will really miss? I think so. I think so. If they can't do it otherwise, I mean, there's there's always a lot of, of, of bilateral uh, opportunities out there. But but certainly, there's there's the academic, the the professor or the young researcher going on, going going away and getting some some inspiration by by spending some months elsewhere. But there's also the 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 exchange of technical staff, for instance, which is which is very important in university professionals, um, and learn new ways of doing things. Come back and be a little bit inspired, or or maybe come back and think that oh, thank God I'm here because elsewhere is so chaotic. But um, uh, that that is of course a thing that again yeah Turing doesn't do and you have to think about how to do it because it's it's uh, it's an important thing. And uh, Professor Hand, um, uh, as someone who is an academic, uh, I presume you 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 missed that opportunity as well to kind of to avail of that opportunity. Now, not just for you who is um, a very senior academic, but for more junior lecturers. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but it's incumbent on us to try to uh, keep that that global network for our staff. 
uh, as alive as possible in, in both directions. You, you want to be able to send your own staff out into the world, and including Europe, uh, and learn in teams. And you know, recent circumstances show us that that this uh, cross-border teamwork is absolutely indispensable and a benefit to the whole of society. But you also want to be able to attract the very best staff to your university. One of the things that um, that worries me the most, therefore, simply about the UK's new situation is that some very talented staff, perhaps at the beginning of their careers, might think twice before accepting a position in a UK university, fearing that there, there are all kinds of financial difficulties and, and uh, more limited job opportunities as a result. This would be terrible. So the Utopia Alliance is one way we can keep this going. Of course, the UK still is in horizon, and uh, we absolutely want to affirm that as much as possible. I know that Thomas... Horizon is, is the science funding uh, for universities, isn't it? It's, it's, it's research, essentially, yes. And there are different pillars, uh, as they call it, associated with it. But um, academics would associate the Horizon Europe funding with the research that they want to do and to get funding from the EU in order to do this. And there we need to pay attention to the fact, as I say, that early career researchers who are mobile might choose to accept um, money from Horizon Europe, but maybe uh, work in a European university rather than a UK one. Uh, and, and we've also, as a university, put a couple of things in place again to mitigate this. We have some fellowships uh, of a philanthropic nature called the Fernandez Fellowships, where we can give money for um, a three-month residency in our Institute of Advanced Studies to young uh, international and European fellows to come and work with us and get to know our campus. So you, you're having to build your own future rather more in this way. Maybe that's a good wake-up call. Um, uh, it depends on the kind of university ultimately you, you you wish to be and the universities you want to work with. Can I go back to Thomas uh, for a final thought? Um, uh, do you do you think that the partnering that the UK government is hoping to achieve between universities, individual universities, again back to my example, Southampton and Heidelberg, do you think that will work without a central structure? To alleviate, to make that happen, or um, do are universities desperate to partner with each other, and that will happen naturally? I think it will happen naturally, and even without desperation. Um, I, I think it's it's important to to see how universities are international players in their own right, and they find ways of doing this. But it's of course a whole lot easier if you have a supporting framework of on of one type or, or, or the other, that if there's some funding that, that can help you, that you have a regulatory framework that's helpful, that it's easy to cross borders, things things like this, that that is that is really important. But if you ask universities, why are you doing this? They all, so why do you cooperate internationally? The, the answer is because it makes us better. Because uh, it you... enhances, so in, in, in there, it's more of, more of sort of university leaders speak leadership speak uh, is uh, it enhances the quality of our missions um and 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 that's that's why you do it and it's such a natural thing and in many disciplines you simply just need to do it because there's no institution that can go on their own uh, so it will happen and and it's it's not something that you know you need to be kicked to do or do out of desperation you availed of the Erasmus scheme, I understand. Do I understand? Do I, do I hear stories from Berlin? 
Yes, yes. I was in Berlin '96 to '97, so that was classic one-year Rasmus, and of course, extremely exciting to to be there. They were rebuilding the the, the city, and you're, you know, thrown into a different different uh, culture and a different research culture, and and um, uh, yeah, huge excitement. Coincidentally, I also did the Erasmus scheme in Germany. Mine was in, in a less salubrious city called Essen, but I uh, I made friends for life. And uh, I'm still in touch with them every month. And, you know, the WhatsApp group that, that is full of banter, which is very precious. Uh, Sean, did you get to do any a year abroad? I'm feeling incredibly old with you two talking about being Erasmus babies here. I mean, I I, I spent a year in France uh, and then toured around Spain afterwards. And this was in 1979-80 I watched Saint-Étienne football team and I went to the and they were young, good yeah when it was uh, Les Verts you know and they were they were, they were top and uh, Saint-Étienne a great place uh, I went to the uh, Lyon Opera House I I drove around I have to say very drunkenly once in a Matrasimca sports car great happy memories it was a role model <laughs> <laughs> and it's what we want for everyone and as thomas says um academics know that they have to work together and they want to work together so um it, wh whether it be in europe or it's it's in china or it's in mcgill in canada or it's in uh, monash or it's in the utopia alliance uh, this is absolutely what we have to ensure is is the norm for our students and for us Wonderful. Well, I'm, I'm going to leave the final word with Hillary. Hillary, have you got to study abroad by any chance? Yeah, I, I feel a little bit like the odd one out because I'm a student and I should have taken up all those opportunities whilst I was at university. Um, but I didn't actually go on Erasmus myself, but I do have like my little hack for getting an Erasmus experience. Um, my friend at university did do Erasmus and went to Hungary for that. So I visited um, them for a week and studied remotely for a week as well so I had my little taste of what Erasmus would look like studying abroad but unfortunately I didn't do it myself but had a little bit of a an experience of it and it was great. Final question Hilary what's it like being a student now back after the pandemic uh, it was it must have been an awful year last year um, what's it like for students these days? Yes, it's actually a perfect time for you to be asking me this because um, throughout the summer, safely, I've been trying to visit as many student unions and see students in real life um, as possible. And I've, I've observed two key things that I've, I've really seen um, from students returning back in person to campus. And um, the first thing is really positive. I think students are really excited to be back on campus. There's a buzz in the air and um, having freshers fairs back and having events back um, where students are able to meet each other and speak to each other and have those in-person experiences again. Um, but I think on the flip side, students are really nervous. And, you know, I, I think that comes from not necessarily knowing what the future holds for what education is going to adapt into in the future but also um we are not yet completely through this pandemic and so you know we don't know what's going to happen in the future and we need to see um more robust plans um i think and that's what students have been speaking to me about seeing more robust plans about what the future could look like if there's another lockdown if there's any more disruption to their education so um there's mainly excitedness about being back on campus but um it is prefaced by being nervous around what you know this whole experience is going to look like um after the moving in finishes and, and people are settled in. Well, that will bring to a close uh, this first podcast for uh, London Calling EU.
I'd like to thank all my guests, Professor Sean Han from Warwick University, Hilary Jebby Ababio from the National Union of Students, and Thomas Jorgensen from the European Universities Association. Please stay tuned for the next podcast in which we'll be talking about the environment and how Britain and the EU are almost exactly on the same page when it comes to tackling climate change. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. From me, Joe Lynham, ciao for now. <laughs>